This is your annual reminder. Well, your second annual reminder. <laughs> Third, fourth, that in the church, Christmas is not a day, but a season that lasts 12 days. So we can still say Merry Christmas because it is still Christmas. Yes, that's where that song comes from with the partridges in a pear tree and the maids a milking. So if you've ever had a problem with that song, because um, A, the guy is still giving gifts after Christmas, and B, he is a terrible gift giver. I can help you with the first part. He's still a terrible gift giver, but I digress. Uh, normally, I try and make some overly pedantic point in saying Merry Christmas when it's January. But this morning, it's important. This year, it's actually important. Uh, it's not just me being a nerd. Uh, this morning, it's important to remember it's Christmas because by now, the world has moved on. We've had New Year's Eve. We've had the college football playoff, or most of it anyway. A ball has dropped. A week's worth of stuff has happened. Uh, multiple celebrities have passed away since Christmas. Think of all that has happened in the week since we all gathered in the auditorium. The world has moved on. And while the world is done celebrating Christmas, we Christians still celebrate. And it is that difference, it is that dichotomy, it is that cognitive dissonance that is the exact point of the sermon this morning. Now a little break to let you behind the curtain for something that is totally irrelevant to your life. Sorry. We had an Advent series. We had a Christmas Eve sermon. And next week we are going to start a new sermon series. So this week, today, is an outlier. A standalone sermon. And the question becomes, if you're me, what do you do with it? You have the whole Bible to choose from. Pick something to preach. Now, when I marry a couple, I often do that. I ask them to pick out the scripture that they want read at their wedding, and I give them the whole Bible to choose from. Uh, and now I see why they don't like that exercise as much as I do. Uh, how, how do you... How do you pick a piece of scripture from the whole Bible? Luckily, they give us preachers some help. There's this thing called the lectionary that organizes all of the Bible into a three-year cycle of readings to be read in church on Sundays. So every week, there's a suggested Old Testament reading, a psalm, a suggested gospel reading, and then another piece of scripture from the, the rest of the New Testament. So when you get into a situation where you have to pick a piece of scripture to preach off of and have the whole Bible to choose from, well, at least they give me a starting point. So that's what I did for a, a little bit of trivia that you never wanted to know. Um, that's what I did. And here is the Old Testament lesson for this Sunday, which spoke to my heart as being perfect to read on New Year's Day in the midst of a Christmas season. It's from Isaiah 63. It's going to be uh, projected on the screen over here. If I'm blocking your view of the screen, I'm sorry, uh, but it's also printed in your lifeline. Uh, and if you would like a Bible, we have Bibles available for use in church and for use outside of church uh, if over at our welcome table. Hear the words of the prophet Isaiah. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord the deeds for which he is to be praised according to all the Lord has done for us. 
Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel, according to his compassion and many kindnesses. He said, Surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their savior. In all their distress, he too was distressed, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. To me, this is a beautiful praise song delivered to God by the people Israel for saving them. This too is our praise song as we gather for worship during the Christmas season. Isaiah is a book that covers an incredible period of time. The first part of the book features warnings that if Israel does not shape up, God will execute judgment on Israel and a foreign power will come in and destroy them. 200 years later, this happens, and the middle part of Isaiah is attempting to understand the theological meaning of what took place. The last part of the book happens a couple generations after the exile began and is about a group of Israelites that are allowed to return to Jerusalem. So there's about two to three hundred years of history covered in Isaiah, making scholars believe that more than one person might have been named Isaiah. We are in the third part of that book. And I talk about the composition and authorship of the book to say that a good chunk, say that for a good chunk of Isaiah, the people have been waiting for, hoping for, wondering what it would be like when they could return to Jerusalem. They have been waiting for God to turn his favor towards them. They have been waiting for God to act, to bring about restoration and redemption. And then it happens. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel, according to his compassion and many kindnesses. He said, surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their savior. In all their distress, he too was distressed, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the, all the days of old. I don't know about you, but I can see the Israelites returning from exile and singing this song, dancing as they walk into their holy city. I can see the joy on their face as they return to their homes. The moment they have dreamed of is finally here. The moment they have prayed for has arrived. In 2004, the Red Sox won the World Series, the first time that it happened in over a century. <laughs> in 2013, Andy Murray, a British tennis player, won Wimbledon, the first British man to win Wimbledon in 77 years. This year, the Cubs won the World Series, their first in over a century. No Cubs fans. <laughs> and after each event, I remember interviews of older men who said through tears, it happened in my lifetime. I was alive to see it. You saw adults talking about how their parents, some still alive and some who had passed on, who had waited for this their whole lives and had taught their children to wait for it. It happened in my lifetime. I got to see it. 
There was a moment there that I was thinking that I would never see a Washington Redskins playoff appearance. <laughs> and when it happened, it happened. And I was aware. I tried to make it through without mentioning the Redskins, but I just can't today. I can't. There is the joy. This is the joy that the Israelites had upon returning from exile. And that is the joy that we have at Christmas. It's the joy that we have when we sing, Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Angels announce with shouts of mirth, Him who brings new life to earth. Set every field and valley humming with the news the Lord is coming. People look east and sing today, Love the Lord is on the way. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Our carols, our songs, are songs of great joy. On Christmas Day we rejoice, for we who were no people are now God's people. We who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Our God reigns, our God lives, our God is at work, and our God is here. Here is our King. Here is our love. Here is our God who has come to bring us back to Him. It has happened. It is here. And we are alive to experience it. But that's not the whole sermon. That's not the whole sermon because that's not the only thing that happens in Isaiah 63. One of the downsides of the lectionary is that while it does a good job of getting most of the Bible into readings for church, sometimes it ignores context. If you knew nothing else about Isaiah 63 except what I read, you'd think that it was one big, joyous poem. But in fact, the verses that I read are the only joy to be found in that chapter. Isaiah 63 begins with God speaking divine judgment against foreign nations. He speaks as a divine warrior fighting for his people. Then we have the joy part. That's good. And then the rest of chapter 63 and into chapter 64 are this long lament from the people Israel. What are they lamenting? God has acted on their behalf. God has judged and worked against the nations to bring Israel home. The very thing they had dreamed of has finally come to pass. And they are lamenting? Why? The beginning of chapter 64 says this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. The author of the lament is trying to deal with the fact that about us, bring it back, needed a fourth cup of coffee. The author of the lament is trying to deal with what happened when the people returned home. 
They sang this great song of praise to the Lord as they returned to their holy city, as the thing that they had dreamed of had come to pass. And then when the people, and then the people went back to living the way they always have. They went back to transgressing the law. They went back to breaking the covenant. They went back to being unfaithful to God, though God had been faithful to them. They discovered that returning to Zion had not changed the basic everyday problems of their life. It can be the same for us at Christmas. At Christmas, we make huge claims about God, about Jesus, about God's love for us, about salvation and the restoration of the earth. In Hark the Herald, we claim that Jesus was born so that we no more may die, and yet we still face the harsh reality of death. In Joy to the World, we proclaim that Christmas brings peace on earth, yet we still see violence on our nightly news. In God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, we sing that Christ came to free us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Yet often we still walk astray, and it can still feel like Satan has power over us. The Israelites thought that their returning to Zion had changed everything. They lamented that not everything had changed. As Christians, our hymns proclaim, and we believe that Christmas changes everything. Yet it can be disconcerting for us in the days after Christmas as we come to the grips with the fact that not everything has changed. But this message and this feeling is relevant to the rest of our culture, especially today. Today and in the days to come, people will be making resolutions. People will be viewing the new year as a fresh start. People will view the new year as something that changes everything. This year, I will get in shape. This year, I will start saving money. This year, I will make more time for my kids and for my family. This year, I won't be as stressed. This year, I will kick that nasty habit. This year, I will be more loving, more generous, more charitable. People view the new year as something that changes everything. And then they struggle to come to grips with the fact that not everything has changed. Those same character traits and habits that made you neglect exercise, they're still there. The same stresses at work or at home, they're still there. The same spender tendencies, they're still there. The same broken relationships, the same negative influences, the same hurts are still there. We aren't completely and qualitatively different people on January 1st than we were on December 31st. Changing who we are as people, our habits, our responses, our behaviors, takes time. Finding fulfillment and happiness take time. Healing relationships takes time. But in a few weeks, as resolutions and promises and hopes for 2017 are abandoned, people will be lamenting the fact, the basic fact, that nothing has changed. But this is something we Christians have known for a long time. This is a story we Christians are familiar with. Because every year, we celebrate Christmas as this big, huge, life-changing, world-shattering event. And then we wake up as broken people on December 26th. At first, this can be jarring. But it teaches us that restoration, 
the restoration of creation, the redemption of the world, working out our salvation, making us holy and righteous in the here and now, take time. Christmas changes everything, but everything doesn't change. The message of Christmas, part of the Christmas gospel, is that God hasn't given up on us. Then God has instead chosen to join us in this, join us in our mess. That God comes here. And because God comes here, we know that God has patience with us. God is giving us time to work it out. God is giving us time to change. God is allowing for the time necessary to restore creation, to redeem the world, and for us to become holy and righteous in the here and now. That in itself is cause for celebration. That in itself is cause for shouts of mirth. That in itself is cause for carol singing and joy. But what does it mean for us? Better still, what does it mean for people who aren't here today? People who aren't people of faith. When Israel sang their song of praise and returned to Zion, God was giving them a second chance. God had sent them into exile as punishment for their transgression of the covenant. In letting them go back, God was giving them another chance. God was letting them work it out again. This is good news. The lament comes only if you think it's the end rather than a new beginning. Christmas, we celebrate the Incarnation. We celebrate that God is with us here on earth and here in our hearts. The lament comes only if you think it's the end rather than a new beginning. New Year's, our culture celebrates a new year and a clean slate. We think of possibilities for what could come this year. We dream of the people we want to be, people we could be, people with a fresh start. The lament comes only if you think it's the end rather than a new beginning. We have to realize that new beginnings require things of us. New beginnings require work from us. New beginnings assume a starting point that's not perfected. No teacher has ever told a class, you were so good today, we're going to begin tomorrow with a clean slate. No one has ever aced a test and said, hey, let's drop that grade as if it never happened. No one has ever won a game and then called do-over. If you need a new beginning, if you need a fresh start, it's because we aren't there yet. So what we take from this today is grace for ourselves. Grace that part of the Christmas gospel is the fact that God is giving us all the time we need to work it out. God isn't giving up on us, but God is being patient with us. And if God is patient with us, we should be patient with ourselves. If there are family members or friends of yours who have their hopes for 2017 dashed over the next few weeks, if you yourself find, your, if you yourself find yourself discouraged, can't say yourself that many times in a sentence. If you yourself, I'm going to do it again, find yourself discouraged as your resolutions for the new year or commitments you want to make in light of Christmas fade, if you are struggling with the darkness that still exists even as the light has come into the world, take heart. Be patient. Have hope. God is giving us all the time we need to get it worked out. Help those in your life take hope. That the time we have is a gift. It's not our enemy. But the second part of this is this. 
Second part of it is this. We do have to do work. Things won't magically get better. Whether it's a spiritual discipline, something for your health, or for your life, you will have to work at it. Change will come slow, but God will be with you through it all. There's a great Reliant K song about Christmas called Celebrate the Day, where they open with the lyrics, And with this Christmas wishes missed the point I could convey. If only I could find the words to say to let you know how much you've touched my life. Because here is where you're finding me, in the exact same place as New Year's Eve. And from the lack of my persistency, we're less than half as close as I want to be. It's on us to work along with God, to bring us closer to Him, to work with God to become the people we were created to be. It's on us to do some work this year. So what will you do? How will you respond to the new beginning that Christmas and New Year offer you? What will you pick up? What will you try to stop? What will you resolve to do to let the light of the Christ child shine more brightly in you and through you this year? And how will you be patient with yourself and persistent in attaining it? Let us pray. Almighty and all-loving God, we thank you for the chances that you give us. Whether it's the second or the thousandth and second, you offer us time. You offer us fresh starts. And so as we gather here at the start of a new year, in the middle of the Christmas season, we thank you for giving us time. We thank you for, for giving us this opportunity to let your grace work in us. To let your grace change us. To be redeemed this year. This new year. Help us take advantage of this time. Help us to work with you. Help us to cooperate with your grace. Help us to be persistent so that we can go closer to you every day and that by next Christmas, we won't be in the same place. And help us be people who embody patience with ourselves and with the world so that those for whom the new year causes lament can learn what it is to really have a fresh start. All this we pray in the name of Jesus the Christ child, the light of the world. Amen.